This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you on this Saturday morning. This is our 31st consecutive program where we are all facing the challenge of COVID-19. And it's important to see how this has all evolved, how this whole problem has evolved. I'm looking forward. Our guest today is going to be Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo. Dr. Abrantes Figueredo is the Chief of Infectious Diseases at St. Francis Hospital here in Hartford. And I'm looking forward to chatting with her a little bit about how we protect ourselves in the future, namely during flu season that's coming up. But things have been changing, and it's hard to even keep track of everything that's changing. For example, in southeast Connecticut, the numbers are rising. Actually, the numbers in the state of Connecticut are rising. Despite the fact that many of us are doing the right thing by national standards, we're still seeing this rise. The community in Norwich, New London, and southeast Connecticut, interestingly, came together. Without political bias, a Republican mayor, Peter Nystrom in, in Norwich, and their community came together in the form of the hospital, Bacchus Hospital, saying they would now increase testing. They moved it up to Dodd Stadium, and their rise went from what was less than 1% to 6.75%. What they did, they got back to the basics the things that I've been saying since day one on this program since COVID. Identification, isolation, contact tracing. So here's what they did. They increased the amount of tests available and getting people into test. They now test every day, all day, including weekends. So there's the identification. Isolation. School's going to be virtual for the next two weeks. Athletics is going to be changed for the next two weeks. So, again, you need to try to isolate as best you can. You can't just walk into City Hall anymore. You wait. You wait until they let you in and make sure you use the proper protective gear. You're wearing a mask. So they're enforcing masks. Contact tracing. They went back and looked at where the contacts were, and they found that they were primarily in the Greenville section of Norwich um, and downtown Norwich. So they were in lower income areas of the region. Not surprising because people in lower income areas, in lower income countries, have to live together in close proximity in multi-generational areas. The thing that makes these outbreaks different are they are not isolated. They are community outbreaks. The differences are when you have an outbreak in a hospital or you have an outbreak at a nursing home or nursing facility, it's contained. It's one area. 
when you have a community outbreak, that community needs to come together. The statistics are still there. In the United States, we have over 7.6 million confirmed cases. But the real number is we have over 213,000 deaths in the country. Here in Connecticut, we have over 60,000 cases confirmed, and we have 4,500 deaths. Our rate of infection has gone up to 3.34%. So what are the things we should be doing? Well, we look to science. We look to the literature. What are the best things to do? And this day in medicine, October 10th, 1945, we remember Dr. Walter B. Cannon. He died on this day. He was an American physician who pioneered the concept of homeostasis. For those of you who are regular listeners to the show, it's something I advocate, meaning the human body loves to do the same thing every day, right down to the cell level. If it was up to your body, you would wake up the same time, go to sleep the same time. You would eat the same times a day. You would eat healthy foods. Everything would stay the same. But as we all know, that's not the way life works. Life has its various ups and downs, both physical and mental. Becoming aggravated um, and having these huge swings in mental approach to things hurt you. So you want to try to stay on, for lack of a better term, an even keel as best you can. One of the things we've talked about on the show, and there have been two articles published to support these, and that is I'll always look to things we can control. Right? There are things out of control, and we'll talk more about them later in, in the program, but the things we can control are our general health. Now, previously, we were told that the COVID-19 infection has a propensity to affect people who are obese, and they do worse with the illness. Well, um, this week, the CDC came out and published a, the statistics and the data to show that it's not just obesity, it's being overweight. So let me show you the definitions. These are the definitions of those terms. They're not random terms that you throw out there. So we use a calculation called the body mass index. If your body mass index is under 18.5, you are underweight. Your normal weight should be a body mass index of between 18.5 and 25. And this is based on your age, height, and weight. And you can go online. You could, there are apps. You just put the numbers in and see where you are. If your BMI is between 25 and 30, you are overweight. And that is the latest group that they have found are more inclined to have be subjected to COVID-19 and do worse with it. If your BMI is over 30, you are obese. And obesity is broken up into different classes. Class 1 being between 30 and 35 BMI. Class 2 between 35 and 40. Class 3 is classified as severe obesity, and it is a BMI of over 40. 
The other factor that we can do our best to control, and this was published this week in a peer-reviewed journal in Brain Behavior and Immunity, and it deals with sleep. We have found that getting sufficient amounts of sleep will help protect you in terms of if you have the infection to have a good outcome. It's a hard thing to do for those of us who live by the alarm clock. But by the same token, you can catch up on sleep and need to really be mindful of sufficient amounts of sleep. We have talked on this program before about diet and the importance of getting a nutritious diet. It all plays a part in protecting us while we await further treatments and a vaccine. But we have to do the small things. It's like baseball, right? You're sitting around waiting for a grand slam. You're better off trying to get the base hit. So we're trying to get those base hits that we need to protect ourselves while we wait for a vaccine, an effective vaccine that we can all trust and use. So with that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest today, Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo. She's the Chief of Infectious Diseases at St. Francis Hospital, and we're going to be talking about a lot of different topics related to COVID-19. Why are the cases going up here in Connecticut? Other things we could be doing to protect ourselves, and more importantly, what are we going to do when the flu hits? How is that going to affect us here in Connecticut? You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. Uh, the phone numbers here, as always, are 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You can also reach me at info at alessimd.com. My guest today is Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo. Uh, Dr. Abrantes Figueredo is the Chief of Infectious Disease at St. Francis Hospital. She's a medical doctor, and she is a Hartford native. Um, she was born and raised here um, in Hartford, went to um, UHart, and then went to uh, UConn for medical school, where she did her residency and a fellowship in infectious diseases. And now she stays here caring for our community. And there's no greater tribute uh, for a community to have one of our own taking care of us. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, let's chat a little bit. Let's get right into it. Why are cases going up in Connecticut? We, we did something right in the beginning. I, I, I firmly believe that the actions taken by the leadership here um, were the right ones. But things are starting to trend back upwards. And, and when we look at the country, we're better than they are in terms of these, what we did. But what did we do right and what's going on now? Sure. So I, I think we did as much as they may have been drastic, a lot of the right things early on. Um, unfortunately, having to close a lot of uh, the institutions in the state and closing with schools and then the really barking down on social distancing and wearing masks and really limiting movement around the, the state. But, you know, as that helped, because we clearly saw a drastic drop in our cases or hospitalizations, um, 
after kind of our peak in April. But I think people then started to see or are seeing that, you know, well, our cases are really low. We we have less to worry about. So I think that may make people think that we're okay and that COVID is gone. And that's really not not, not the case. And we really still have to be aggressive with with the measures that we have been doing, especially now that, you know, we are able to open up the state with the different phases, schools going back and a lot of the kids going back to full in-person school or even before aftercare, um, you know, other things that are opening up that people have to realize that it's now, you know, increasing their pot or their exposure to COVID. So we really still need to be careful with wearing masks, the hand hygiene, the social distancing, because it really still can be anywhere. So I, I like the term you use, the pod. Uh, we use it in sports all the time. Uh, I've been working at Mohegan Sun where we have uh, athletes coming in to train and perform for TV, and they're always broken up into pods, and their pod are the same people they train with, they eat with, and they they have to stay in that pod. So can you relate that? to how we should be living our lives uh, today, that term pod. Sure. Yeah, and it's, it's very difficult because, you know, a lot of this has been very isolating for folks. And we're not saying now that it has to be completely contained into your absolute own pod, but just doing so safely when we expand that pod. So for me, or for most folks, anyone within your actual household, most people aren't going to be wearing a mask throughout the household. I'm not. I have my husband, my two children. So we are that just, you know, that is our foundation. And then as we kind of expand our pods, whether it's, you know, on purpose or not, I mean, my son is now in person uh, or going to school in person full time. He now has different pods, too, that he's a part of. He has his before school, his during school, his after school. So that right there will potentially then even reflect upon my pod. So. But the schools are doing what they need to do, um, just like with sports, like you're talking about how they're trying to keep the kids or the groups in the same, um, you know, wearing masks still. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be not wearing masks around other people. The same thing with people now expanding and going out to see other friends or extended family that you still really need to be careful um, because they, too, they're maybe going back to work, too. So you can see how it can be an exponential, like, sixth degree where you can potentially still get COVID because of the people we interact with. But if we're still being able to go out with folks or wearing masks, whether it's outside, um, trying to keep the indoor activities more on a limit because that's clearly where we've seen more outbreaks. Um, Those are the key things to try and make sure that our cases still remain low. To keep your pod safe, I mean, there are several things that I think are red flags, and I want to bounce them off you. Sure. Obviously, travel um, yeah. to a uh, another state for an extended period of time, uh, bars, um, even churches. Um, we're starting to see where people uh, congregate. Uh, are there are those accurate red flags for people in your pod? Are there other red flags that we need to think about in order to help control our pod? I think those are those are big key ones, and it, it really goes down to, again, the travel is not only traveling to a potential hotspot or a state that has a much higher percentage of, of infection. The other thing, too, is what folks are doing in those 
in those states, are they then interacting with other families and extended folks who are not wearing masks? That right there then is a higher-risk behavior. Um, the same thing with bars or, you know, really even indoor eating if it's close together or parties with large numbers. Um, church is something similar, uh, although, you know, most have tried to still try to maintain social distancing. Um, we know, we've seen outbreaks related to indoor, you know, singing, um, especially with this whole concept of airborne or aerosolization too. And it's mainly because it's an indoor and maybe the, you know, ventilation system isn't as great as it, it can be. Um, so those are the things that will then place folks or kind of higher risk behaviors or activities that can, you know, lead someone to contracting SARS-CoV-2 infection. Um. Let's talk about a little bit about prevention. Um, uh, we we hear things about, you know, people say take vitamin D, vitamin C. I talked a little bit uh, at the outset of the program about, you know, doing your best to exercise, control your weight, um, things like that. Do, do you have any tips for our listeners, uh, things that I may not have mentioned or that you know that people can be doing to optimize their health uh, to if they get COVID or to help avoid COVID, uh, other than the physical barriers. Sure, I, I think the big key is is prevention, and you know, it, a lot of the large societies, IDSA, NIH, etc. It, it's hard without with the studies that we have to really say for or against things like vitamins, etc. But what you're mentioning is just really a healthy um, living style. So I think those are the things to help still prevent any a lot of infections or a lot of diseases too that could inadvertently then um, help us prevent SARS-CoV-2. Staying healthy, eating well, exercising, um, and again now we're adding to not to sound like a robot but then the other things that help with prevention is the wearing of the mask. So it's almost like it should be again second nature. Washing our hands, um, you know, before dinner, after, you know, going to the bathroom. Simple things that you know, I think people still forget um, that are really important to help just prevent not only SARS-CoV-2, but actually any infection, including flu, as we go into the flu season. Do you think masks are going to become part of our culture uh, going forward, even after this? I do. Um, you know, I have a, we said this early on, I, the first thing that came to my mind is as soon as we started using this kind of as our standard precautions within the hospital, I was my first thought was I can't imagine kind of now going backwards and saying no more masks. Um, and at what point, if any, would we even consider that? Um, even in the community, I, I definitely don't think we're there yet. And, you know, until we have, you know, this concept of herd immunity, vaccine, really good prevention strategies, um, I think it's for now the foreseeable future, the wearing of the mask. Hopefully, you know, whether it's soon or later, um, it may take a while, um, but it's kind of, and, and I hate to say the new normal because folks don't like to necessarily use that, but it's what's been working, and it's clearly what's been shown to drive down our cases um, here in Connecticut and other states, too, that weren't doing it, where we saw that all of a sudden those states going up uh, exceedingly with the COVID cases. Uh, I find that to be very helpful and, and very poignant right now. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Jessica Abrantes-Figueredo. And we are talking about things you can do 
to put yourself in a better situation in the face of COVID-19, especially with flu coming up. And a question I get all the time is about outdoor activity. Uh, what should be the precautions with certain outdoor activities? We're going to take that break right now. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And my guest today is Dr. Jessica Abrantes Figueredo. And she is the Chief of Infectious Diseases at St. Francis Hospital uh, right here in Hartford. Uh, Jessica, before the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about mask and mask use. And one of the questions I often get is, what should we be doing when we're outside um, exercising, say we're hiking on a trail. Now, some of these trails are getting pretty busy, and I'm happy to see that because it means people are out exercising. But, you know, when do you wear a mask? When don't you wear a mask? Um, and and I, I don't think the rules are that well defined. So can you help give us some sure. guidance as to when we should be wearing masks outdoors? Great question, because with outdoors, we know that it's, it's, you know, the spread is less likely, um, you know, even with winds, et cetera. So I would say that, you know, within your own pod, if I'm going out hiking with my family, we might not necessarily wear masks around each other. Um, you know, you bring up a good point that it's, the crowds are now starting, um, which is a good thing. People are out and exercising, and I would definitely promote that, too. I would say... So folks not necessarily always have to wear masks, but to keep one in your pocket. And it's almost like a, a sign of respect, too, that if you start to see a crowd or a large group of people kind of coming and going, I think that would be a perfect time to, you know, put on your mask. Sometimes when starting in certain areas, you know, there might be a larger crowd. So anytime you see a much larger crowd um, or folks even just walking by you and it may take, you know, longer than just a one second um Spring by them, I think that would be appropriate. And it's, and it's really just to show that this is all about the community. And I want to really get that message across, too, that, you know, it's not the doctors, the nurses, the folks at the, the, the hospitals that are doing all the work or that are all the heroes. Really, this is something that can be really controlled by our community and by doing the right thing um, and caring about each other and by, you know, showing a sign of respect by wearing a mask when they're much closer together, that would be key. I'm so glad you used that word respect uh, because it, it's something we need to do for each other. But we're getting into flu season. And, you know, when this all started out in January and February, we heard all the pundits uh, tell us that this is no worse than the flu. Um, obviously, 213,000 American deaths later, we know that it's worse than the flu. But yet um, they're back, okay? The pundits are back. Our president has said this week that this is no worse than the flu. Can you please help me put this to rest? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it's disheartening that, you know, seven, eight months plus into this that we're kind of still battling this. But you said it right from the beginning that over 200,000 deaths right there, you know, it's, it's clearly not. We keep seeing these things of how, oh, the majority of folks, you know, survive this, et cetera. But, you know, there's never been a disease entity or an infection like this because of it being novel, um, where we've seen so much spread and clearly not like the flu, you know. Um, any physician, nurse, or healthcare worker can clearly state that they've never experienced the flu season like we did with COVID. Um, sure, we've certainly had folks 
absolutely die from the flu. People can do absolutely fine with the flu, just like with COVID, but the numbers are completely, completely different. And, you know, it's, although some people may do fine with it, um, and it could be a good majority, it's, it's sending the wrong message um, because what people need to understand is that whether someone like myself who's, you know, young, healthy, not many comorbidities, I, you know, I may do just fine with COVID. But if I am then cavalier by thinking I'm, you know, not sick anymore and going around and spreading it, then I can then spread it to folks that are more vulnerable. And those then could be lives lost unnecessarily. Um, so I think it's so important for people to, to understand this is nothing like the flu. There's a lot of similarities and crossovers, but there's still significant differences of why we need to take this so seriously. You know, you just touched on a word that uh, really brought this to mind for me for the first time as I thought about it, when you said the word flu season. Um, there is no COVID season. I think we figured that out yet. We thought it was just going to blow through maybe in the spring and then we'd have a real break in the summer but we haven't had much of a break and obviously covid is not seasonal so there's one big difference between this and the flu would you agree yeah i mean we're clearly still seeing a lot of cases and we're starting to see an uptick in cases and again we drove down the cases significantly because of the the measures that we did so it's that too is concerning because then it's well when do we have to worry about this and at this point really it's Going forward, still, we have to worry about um, COVID and now it potentially colliding with flu season. Let's talk about flu. So when you start getting symptoms, how do you, how does someone know when they're starting to get symptoms if they're going, if they have flu or if they have COVID? Is there any way the average person can tell the difference? So it's going to be difficult. And I would say the average person probably can't just like, Many physicians won't be able to. I, because the, the the symptoms cross over, I just by looking and talking to a patient won't necessarily be able to tell is this flu, is this COVID. You know, we may have clues. Um, again, some of the similarities: fevers, chills, body aches, sore throats, cough. Um, but you know, COVID sometimes may lose people lose loss of taste and smell, but. That's definitely not the the majority or, you know, an end-all, be-all symptom as well. I think the big thing is going to be testing um, so that we can really delineate because there's implications if this is flu versus if this is COVID-19. Do folks need to isolate for a certain amount of time versus um, with flu, you know, not necessarily needing to isolate for a full 10 days, et cetera. So it, the contagion, too, between flu versus COVID is, is clearly different as well. Um, let's get back to testing. Do we have enough tests? Are we ready for this uptick in terms of the tests? Do we have sufficient number of reagents, personnel, PPE? Are we ready for the next wave from your estimation? You know, I, I think we are ready, but it's one of those things that each and every hospital, including St. Francis, is always looking at closely. There's always been difficulty, which is, you know, disheartening about the reagents and, you know, it, it's, one thing or another, and not necessarily from the hospital aspect or the lab aspect, too. But most, if not all, hospitals, including St. Francis, has looked at multiple platforms of being able to test for COVID-19, um, as well as flu, actually, in combination. So I think we are, are hopefully 
going to stay good in that scenario. The same thing with PPE. We've now attempted to make sure that we are stocked up completely. Um, and even just taking preventative measures in the hospital with all staff wearing not only masks, but eyewear as well. So helping to prevent any potential exposures if we do miss a case of COVID. Uh, the flu shot. Uh, how important is it to get the flu shot this year as opposed to others? Because there are people who are always out there saying, well, I never get the flu shot and I never get the flu. But this year is different. Yeah. Can we talk about how different it is this year and why? Absolutely. So, you know, it's important every year, right? Um, you and I both know that, but it, it's specifically important this year because we're still dealing with the pandemic. It's the pandemic is not over, so we've just been talking about COVID, but it's, it's, this is a pandemic that is still ongoing and still has the potential to surge. So to be able to have something in our back pocket, like a vaccine for influenza, is so important to be able to use so that we can help prevent folks from getting disease of influenza or, or complications, I should say, of influenza, hospitalizations. Um, you know, it's not all about burdening the hospital system, but these are preventative measures so that we can help prevent people from getting sick. That's the ultimate goal um, and helping keep our community safe, too. So, so important this year um, to get our flu shot. When should people be getting the flu shot? Right now? Yeah. So there's there's always talks. I think pharmacies had flu shots as of, you know, September uh, or even August. And it's difficult because... Not then not not that I don't want anyone to get the flu shot early or late, et cetera. It's never too late to get the flu shot. We typically say most experts that around October is probably the best time, and the main reason for that is because immunity does wane, and our flu season usually each year goes well into March, cases into April. So we want folks to have that flu shot so that the immunity at least wanes through those those tough months. Jessica, I'm going to ask you a hard question. I'm going to ask you to predict the future. Uh, from an ID standpoint, how is this going to play out? What are we looking at next year and the year after? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think this year we may see a more tame flu season. Um, and again, that's only a predict prediction because the Southern Hemisphere is not seen as bad of a, of a flu season. I do think that, you know, COVID is going to be around us for quite some time. You know, there's no COVID vaccine yet out and about just yet. We have a lot of contenders. Um, but even once that hits, it, the rollout, the allocation, et cetera, is going to take quite some time. So, you know, I think we're, like we just talked about earlier, we're going to be wearing masks for quite some time, even in the community, definitely within the hospitals. I can't see that going, going backwards. And, you know, people still needing to be careful with, you know, large parties, um, indoor parties, and it, it's going to take a while. Um, hopefully we can all get through this, and I think we can. And, you know, we may have been able to get through things not to, to always go backwards, but, you know, I think people were very skeptical with a lot of things. There was a lot of things that we just didn't know, and, but that I want the community to know as well, that that is science. When things change, that actually shows you that science is working. We realized what worked, what didn't work, um, what may have been wrong and what may now be right. So that is just showing folks, especially in something so novel, that that is science playing out. My last question is, uh, I know St. Francis has always been a leader in helping our community. Um, 
we're hoping soon there's going to be a reliable vaccine um, available. Um, do you have a plan for distribution of that vaccine um, to, commu to our community? Yes, we will, um, along with a lot of the other hospital systems, uh, we'll definitely be working with the state, the governor, with regards to then, you know, the allocation, who's going to be, and it's really just everyone sure should be getting it, but we, we will know that that's not going to happen day one. So working to make sure that the most critically needed are going to be getting the vaccine first and, you know, definitely allowing that to go to cascade down to our community. Uh, this is a loaded question, but how will we know when the vaccine is safe? Uh, I've told people I'm I'm waiting till Dr. Fauci puts a needle in his arm. Um, <laughs> um, but how will we know? How do how does how do my listeners know when it's safe to get the vaccine? So I I think you know, and again, not to always bring politics into this too, but it's um, we need to let the vaccine trials complete and do their thing. There is this whole concept of emergency use authorization and getting a vaccine out very, very quickly. And that also isn't the answer. So I think allowing the trials to complete, go through their phase three trials where they're now testing. The vaccines have already been tested really on tens of thousands of people. Um, and it's going to be an ongoing process, too. So um, the FDA, the trials, they then will look to make sure, you know, who may be getting side effects, not side effects. There's risks and benefits to anything we do. So I think that once it is able to be rolled out and being very transparent, with which I think a lot of these trials um, and companies have been doing, too, to make sure that they're letting the community know exactly what's going on and why one may be stopped versus not and kind of the, the adverse reactions that may happen. So being very transparent and not hiding any information so that the community feels safe to be able to say yes. I now think it's safe for myself to get the COVID vaccine. Well, I'm going to change my position on the vaccine right now. And instead of waiting for Dr. Fauci, I'm going to wait for you to tell me when it's safe to get it. How's that? Um, <laughs> that and I look forward to having you back on the program. You've been a great guest with great information for our community. I want to thank you and all the folks at St. Francis for everything you do to keep our community healthy and safe. Um, thank you, Jessica, for your time. Thank you so much for having me. You have a great weekend, and stay safe, everyone. We're going to take a short break, and then I'll be back uh, with a little closing of our program. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back with Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And I wanted to touch on a few points uh, in closing today. Um, one of those is, first of all, I thank you all for the emails I've been receiving um, with great information. I do look at the links you send, the articles you send. Uh, for the most part, they have been extremely instructive and, and keep them coming. You could reach me at info at alessimd.com. And it's apparent from my guest today and from uh, many of the links you've sent me that medical doctors and people who treat patients on a regular basis are united in science. Um, we have different approaches, but the approach has been that we should be gradually reopening and getting trying to get back to normal. But 
the concept of herd immunity and opening everything up and let it run through the system is certain that no responsible physician who treats patients would advocate for. There's been a lot of talk about the antibody cocktail. Well, I will tell you that this week I spent two hours on a phone trying to get approval to get an MRI of the brain for a patient who had a stroke. Two hours, both myself and my assistant being on a phone. Believe me, if you get COVID, that antibody cocktail is not going to be easy to get. It's not going to be something that's readily available. But I think it is an effective treatment, and I think it will prove out to be that. One word we've been hearing a lot about this week is reckless and reckless behavior. The definition of reckless is really of a person or their actions without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. Reckless behavior can take a lot of different forms. It could be drunk driving, driving when impaired, again, risking others other than yourself. You can see this most recently when people host events, events such as birthday parties. We love birthday parties, okay? When you host a large event where people are not going to wear masks, this is a problem. These are reckless. It could be a party. It could be a religious event. It can be a protest and it certainly can be a political event being held at the White House. These are reckless. And we need to, as individuals, avoid these things. So you might miss a birthday party. You might miss an anniversary. You might miss an event. But where you sense there's danger, even if you attend it and you sense there's danger, and you may anger the host, leave because this is too crucial right now to be fooling around with it and subjecting yourself to this infection. It's proven by the fact that there are 213,000 dead Americans. So with that, I urge you all to get out and vote, okay? It's key right now that we get out and vote and I don't really care about the politics of it, I will tell you this, that your health depends on it, whether it be your health insurance, whether it be receiving a vaccine, whether it be getting an MRI when you've had a stroke and your doctor doesn't have to spend two hours on a telephone. We need to fix this system. And the only way to do it is to not be afraid, don't be intimidated, get out there and vote. As I said, your health depends on it. I look forward to chatting with you next week. I'm not going to turn my back on breast cancer awareness. We're going to get somebody on here because as much as we are knee-deep in COVID, we need to pay attention to other problems facing our community. With that, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Mike Olko, who's been on the board, and Jeff Chandler, who's in charge of health and market of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. 
Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.